0: part two chapters nine and ten of perkins the faker a travesty on reincarnation by edward s van zyle this librivox recording is in the public domain how chopin came to remsen chapter nine an unrecorded opus methought it was a glorious joy indeed to shut and open heaven as he did emma whenever a number of men and women whose lives are devoted to some one line of art are gathered together the social atmosphere becomes surcharged with electricity if one is impressionable acutely sensitive to an environment it is best perhaps to avoid the haunts of genius i am inclined to believe that sociologists will investigate eventually the eternal antagonism between belgravia and bohemia by strictly scientific methods how large an infusion of genius can be safely sustained by a throng in search of social relaxation it would be well to know one fact at least in this connection has been repeatedly demonstrated as i had learned to my cost namely that a social function based on music rests on a powder mine belgravia had witnessed an explosion at my recent musical and now i felt convinced bohemia was to undergo a like ordeal tom was at the root of this disquieting conviction his hysterical attack of wholly irrelevant hilarity his quick response to Malati's soothing touch and now the tense unnatural expression of his face filled me with painful apprehension i both craved and dreaded the end of the president's discourse and my forebodings were darkened by a remark made by mrs jack who seemed to derive real pleasure from the excitement of the crisis look at tom she whispered he's fretful at the post he'll get the bit in his teeth presently do you see dr woodruff over there he's taking notes before she had ceased to speak tom was out of hand and had bolted down the track as mrs jack would have put it in other words he had sprung from alatti's side as the president ended his discourse and had rushed to the piano at the end of the room i caught the look of amazement on the president's quaint face and laughed aloud nervously utterly ashamed of my lack of self-control i glanced at the crowd surrounding me but nobody had noticed my touch of hysteria every eye in the room was fastened on tom who was seated motionless at the piano in an apparently dazed condition his eyes were closed and the corners of his mouth drawn down he looked at that moment like the very incarnation of all that was unmusical in the universe i feared that mrs jack would comment on his ridiculous appearance but she was kind enough to keep quiet she told me afterward that my raucous laugh had frightened her suddenly tom's chin went up he opened his eyes fixed them on molatti's white face and began to play such weird intoxicating harmonies as filled the room setting every soul therein a throb with an ecstasy that was close akin to agony no earthly audience had ever heard before men and women were there who had memorized each and every note that chopin wrote but there was not among them one who could identify this marvellous improvisation this strange exposition of a great master in his most inspired mood it was chopin but chopin unrecorded his genius in its most characteristic tendency but raised as a mathematician would say to the nth power it was as if the soul of the composer dissatisfied with the heritage that he had left to us had returned to earth to exhibit to his worships the one perfect flower of his creative spirit how long tom played i have never known i had forgotten all about him before many minutes had passed losing in my impressionability to music my sensitiveness as the wife of a man misunderstood there were in the universe only my soul and a throbbing splendour of great music mighty harmonies that filled all space magic chords that awakened dim memories of a lifelong past filled to overflowing with joy and sorrow tossing waves of melody that bore me to the stars or sank me into vast mysterious realms peopled by grey shadows that i had learned to love presently i felt mrs jack's hand clasping mine don't go to him dear He has only fainted, I heard her saying, her voice seeming to reach me from a remote distance. He was all out and collapsed under the wire, but it's nothing serious." Tom had sunk back into Malati's arms and his head rested against her shoulder. She had sprung toward him, as I learned later, just in time to save him from a fall. She now stood gazing mournfully down at his white upturned face, sorrow, pity, and I imagined remorse in her glance for an instant a hot rage swept over me and i strove to stand erect despite mrs jack's restraining hand don't make a scene she whispered to me passionately in earnest he is in no danger see dr woodruff is feeling his pulse even at that awful moment when i knew not whether tom was alive or dead i remember that my mind dwelt for a moment on the tendency of new schools of medicine to cling to old traditions Of what significance to a psychologist could the rapidity of Tom's Pulse be? I heard people all around me talking excitedly. Did you ever hear anything like it? I tell you it's one of the master's posthumous works. I couldn't identify it, but perhaps it was discovered by Remsen. That's absurd. Where could he find it? He's better now. See? He opens his eyes. I don't wonder he fainted. I was just on the verge of collapse myself. Parbleu, Chopin a la diable. No, no, no more pour moi, s'il vous plait. I can now die so vera happy. I have just a once heard of the mastro himself. I have a nothing left for to live. Who is this wonderful Remsen? Never heard of him before. You'll hear of him again then. He is the only man living who can interpret the master it was all of it intolerable how i hated these chattering idiots who were making an idol of clay setting up my poor tom who was to me at that moment an object of pity as the incarnation of their cult to whom they must pay reverent homage i longed to cry aloud to them that they had been tricked that my husband was a sensible commonplace lovable man as far removed from a musical crank as he was from a train-robber or a pirate all my former love for music seemed to have turned suddenly into detestation and i longed to get away from this nest of chopinacs into the noisy wholesome atmosphere of the outside world it seemed to me that nothing could restore my equilibrium but the uproar of the streets and the unmelodious clatter of my coach we must get out of this at once i said to mrs jack standing erect and checking the dizziness in my head by an effort of will i saw that tom had fully recovered his senses and that he seemed to be actually enjoying the homage the excited throng pressing toward him offered to his vicarious genius beside him stood malati her face radiant as if her mission on earth were to reflect the glory of tom remsen's musical miracle we must get out of this i found myself saying again as i urged mrs jack toward the exit i'll send the carriage back for tom But it's such bad form to run away like this, protested Mrs. Jack. What will the president think of us? And Dr. Woodruff? Surely you want to ask him what he thinks of the ah case? But my will for the time being was stronger than hers, and presently we were seated in my carriage homeward bound, and I was fighting back the hot tears that had rushed to my eyes. I I don't care what what Dr. Woodruff thinks about the the case i sobbed i-i know what i think about it mrs jack said nothing for a time but it was pleasant to feel the pressure of her hand and to realize that she could be tactful now and again we had nearly reached the house before she ventured to ask and what my dear do you think of the case i pulled myself together and restrained my sobs i am not of the weeping variety of woman and i was ashamed of my hysterical exhibition of weakness i think i began and then i hesitated weighing my words carefully i think that signorina molatti is in love with tom mrs jack laughed outright both to my amazement and anger you've wholly lost the scent my dear she remarked while i removed my hand from hers signorina molatti is not in love with tom she's in love with chopin chapter Ten, tom's recovery at length the man perceives it die away and fade into the light of common day william wordsworth after re-reading the foregoing deposition i am forced to the conclusion that i was designed by nature neither for a novelist nor a historian i can see that my narrative fails to be convincing considered either as a work of fiction or as a statement of fact but may i not comfort myself with the thought that i have given my testimony conscientiously and that if the outcome of my literary efforts is unsatisfactory my failure is due rather to the inexplicable phenomena with which i have been obliged to deal than to my own defects as an analyst and witness i have endeavoured to inscribe simply and in chronological order the unadorned tale of my husband's sudden attack of genius and its consequences and i realize now that my data will not be accepted by the scientific nor will their arrangement appeal to the artistic but i have told the truth and if not the whole truth at least nothing but the truth as literature my story belongs to the realistic school and is one of the present as a contribution to science it will have no standing to-day but i am firmly convinced that the psychologists of the future will read the details of tom remsen's case with enlightened interest i have felt too deeply the nervous strain of setting down in black and white the story of the greatest crisis in my life to go into details here and now regarding the ups and downs of the long illness that tom underwent after his triumphant appearance before the chopin society for two days before he collapsed i saw that he was fighting in grim silence against weakness and fever he was like a man struggling to overcome an unnatural appetite and growing constantly more weary of the contest he would stroll with reluctant steps into the music-room stand for a time gazing defiantly at the piano with his hands clenched and beads of perspiration on his troubled brow then he would turn away meeting my gaze with a melancholy smile and hurry off to his office or his club to return to me after a time pale and listless but always stubbornly silent as to the cause of his evident suffering only once before he was forced to take to his bed where he tossed for a week in delirium did he refer even indirectly to the cause of his disquietude has signorina molatti been here to-day he asked me abruptly one evening at dinner no tom i answered a note in my voice that i'm sure he did not like did you expect her i always expect her he muttered speaking more to himself than to me that evening the magnetism of the open piano in the music-room proved irresistible to him to my mingled consternation and delight he played selections from chopin until long after midnight the while i sat behind him fascinated by his renditions but appalled by the persistent recurrence of his seizures to-morrow i said to myself i will consult dr woodruff again perhaps he has made his diagnosis and can suggest some line of treatment but on the morrow tom was in charge of our family doctor and two trained nurses the morning had found him hot with fever and by noon he was out of his head and inclined to be violent then followed days and nights of alternating hope and fear during which there came to me a complete revelation of what the old tom had been to me the tom who had bored me at times ungrateful woman that i was by his practical unimaginative inartistic personality how i treasured a word of encouragement from the doctor or a nurse how bitterly i repented my former discontent my disloyal longing for something in tom's make-up that nature had not vouchsafed to him it had come to him this something and it had well-nigh ruined our lives whatever it had been demoniac possession hypnotism or what not it had been a thing of evil despite the uncanny beauty of its manifestation in my heart of hearts i craved one of two alternatives either tom's death or his restoration to his former self freed forever from the black shadow of chopin's genius it was not until one afternoon well on in his convalescence that i knew my fondest hopes had been realized we had betaken ourselves to the library not to read but to enjoy in an indolent way our new freedom from trained nurses and the discipline of the sick-room Tom, leaning back comfortably in a reclining chair and puffing a cigarette, wore on his invalid's face an expression of supreme contentment. Not once, I was glad to note, did his eyes wander to the distant shelf on which stood our Chopin literature, books that I had doomed in my mind to an auto-da-f when a fitting opportunity for the sacrifice should arise. Isn't this cosy? remarked Tom, presently glancing at me affectionately. But I suppose I must hasten my recovery, my dear. The Pepper and Salt Trust and other enterprises don't take much stock in sick men. "'Don't worry about business matters, Tom Remsen,' I said with playful sternness. "'We can get on very well if you never do another stroke of work in your life.' A shadow passed over Tom's face, and he puffed his cigarette nervously. "'I'm not fitted for a life of leisure, my dear,' he remarked grimly. "'A man may get into so many kinds of mischief if he isn't busy.' "'I hastened to change the subject. "'Remember, sir, that you are under orders. "'You are to do as you are told to do. "'You may not know it, Tom, but the fact is that you and I sail for Europe "'just as soon as you are strong enough to stand the voyage.' "'Where are we going?' he asked apprehensively. "'Not to Paris.' "'No, not to Paris,' I answered, understanding him. "'We'll spend all our time in Scotland and Ireland. "'They're the only countries over there that we have not seen, Tom.' the next day i discharged our butler for an indiscretion that he committed at this moment signorina molatti he announced from the doorway of the library and turning my head i saw the violinist with her cremona under her arm coming toward us i glanced at tom the two red spots that had leaped into his white cheeks seemed to be an outward manifestation not of joy but of hot anger i rose and went toward our visitor a question in my face will you not forgive me signora cried Molatti in soft pleading tones it is what you call a vera bad form but i have been so vera unhappy they told me that signor remsen was dying can you not forgive me but he is on the road to recovery signorina i said perfunctorily it would not do to give way to my inclination to chide this insinuating girl for her presumption a scene might cause tom to have a relapse i see she cried and i am so glad and i have brought my violin that the signor would like to hear the voice of the maestro stop right there will you eh uh, signorina exclaimed tom gruffly endeavouring as i saw to control his annoyance and show no discourtesy to even an unwelcome guest i'm not it young woman He's gone away whoever he was. If he comes back, which God forbid, I'll notify you. But you won't catch me drumming any more on a piano. My musical career is at an end. I'm under the care of a doctor, and he says that I'm on the road to recovery. Forgive me if I have spoken too plainly. You're a very charming young woman, and I admire your uh genius. But mine's gone, and I'll take good care that it doesn't come back if you'd like that piano in the music-room signorina molatti i'm sure that my wife would be glad to send it over to your apartments we're through with it forever i was sorry for the girl the expression of amazement even horror that had come into her dark expressive face touched my heart and i laid my hand gently on her arm it's a great mystery signorina i whispered to her as i led her from the library i can't explain it to you very clearly for i don't understand it myself but mr remsen told you the truth he is no longer musical in his normal condition he is the most unmusical man in the world the signor remsen that you have known with whom you have played duets is dead i can hardly believe that he ever existed will you signorina molatti grant me the great privilege of presenting to you yonder piano "'Frankly, it would be a great relief to me to be rid of it.' There were tears in her splendid black eyes as she turned her face toward me. "'I do not understand,' she said mournfully. "'You do not know what it all meant to me. "'I cannot take your piano. "'There is nobody in the whole wide world to play it now that he is gone. "'And you are telling me the truth? "'I was dreaming. "'It did not really happen.' But, Signora, there were so many who heard a him heard a me heard a us It could not have been a dream. What was it? Her voice broke with a sob, and I bent down and kissed her tear-stained face. I cannot tell you, Signorina, but do not let your heart break. You may find him again some day, nevera again she sighed seizing my hands impulsively Never again but i thank a you so much farewell my heart was heavy as i returned to tom uncertain of the state in which i should find him to my delight i saw as i entered the library that he had suddenly made a great stride toward renewed health he was sitting erect and there was little of the invalid in his face or voice that's over my dear he cried gaily and i'm going to celebrate chopin's utter rout order me a brandy and soda will you and push that box of cigars toward me then we'll read up a bit little woman about scotland and ireland on the whole i'm inclined to believe you and i will have a very jolly outing i leaned forward and kissed the dear fellow's smiling lips it's so good to have you back again tom i murmured and the signorina he asked presently how did she take it i'm afraid i was cruel to her my dear did i speak too harshly to her you had no alternative tom i assured him soothingly you had been placed in a very awkward position i had in a very awkward position he acknowledged and who the deuce put me there i wonder don't wonder tom i cried sharply the less wondering you do the better it will be for us both you're right winifred as you always are he said raising aloft the glass of bubbling brandy that the butler had brought to him and nodding toward me here's your good health my dear and bon voyage to us both end of chapters nine and ten end of part two how chopin came to remsen